You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hi, everyone. It's Julie. Thanks for tuning in. On this episode, Bridget and I are chatting with Lee Brian Schrager, the founder of the Food Network and Cooking Channel, South Beach and New York City Wine and Food Festivals. Lee shares his journey into hospitality, serving in almost every aspect of the business, from movie theater concession stands to Chinese takeout, hotel food and beverage, and then into the distribution channel with Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Lee has had an incredible journey that all started with the love of food and a passion to give back. South Beach Wine and Food Festival has raised more than $28 million for the FIU Chaplain School of Hospitality, and the New York City Wine and Food Festival has raised more than $12 million for the Hunger Relief Organizations, No Kid Hungry, and Food Bank for New York City. Lee does not stop there. Learn how he continues to use his platform to support the community during COVID with the Hospitality Relief Fund and the sought-after LBS Bake Sale. Sit back, grab your favorite drink, and get inspired. Well, Lee, welcome to the show. Julie and I are so excited to have you on today. Thank you, guys. Good to be here with you right before the holidays. Absolutely. You know, um, you've had such a rich career in the beverage industry, and you really are an icon to us all and a great inspiration. And I know that our listeners would love to know, and Julie and I would really love to know, where did you begin? Where was your start in the industry? How did this happen, Lee? Well, it goes, that goes back a long time. I've always, uh, I've only ever worked in the uh, hospitality industry going back to, uh, other than delivering newspapers as a young boy on Long Island, I, you know, when I was 11, 12 years old, I was working in a Chinese takeout restaurant and I worked in movie theater at a food concession. And I, you know, you kind of name it. I did. I was a, a car park for a restaurant in Fort Lauderdale. I worked as a garmanger uh, uh, in the garmanger in New York City at Tavern on the Green. I worked as a waiter at the, the Four Seasons restaurant. I've uh, I've done a little bit of everything. So there's very few areas of the industry that I have not, um, you know, uh, worked in at one point. And I think my love for the industry really comes from the love of food and cooking growing up. Uh, my mom is a great cook and I was always working or uh, playing around in the kitchen with her. And when my parents would travel as a young child, they, we had a, uh, a housekeeper uh, a lady named Mrs. Catanzaro, we used to call her Mrs. C, and she would um, teach me how to bake and how to make pasta. So at a very young age, I was in the kitchen and fooling around and uh, kind of experimenting with food. 
That's amazing. Are you originally from um, Miami? No, I'm originally from Long Island, New York. So I grew up and we moved to Miami when I was about, we moved to Fort Lauderdale when I was 15 years of age. Oh, wow. What brought you from, you know, you really, it sounds like you've worked in every facet of the hospitality industry, right? And I always say, Lee, it's like you either love it or you don't. There's no gray area with hospitality. So what brought you um, to putting on these fabulous and fantastic world-renowned festivals such as, you know, the, the South Beach Food and Wine, the New York Food and Wine? You know, how do we get from that hospitality to there? Well, I was always, you know, my I, I spent 20 years with intercontinental hotels uh, running food and beverage for them. And for a brief period, I ran their uh, catering department. So that was special events. And I always had a love for organizing and putting things together from an early age. And um, when I joined Southern Wine and Spirits in 2000, that's when it was still Southern Wine and Spirits, I... Uh, you know, joined the company at, with really no uh, official position and no job description. And I, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of reverted back to what I knew best, which was um, event planning. And uh, I had gone to the Aspen Food and Wine Festival um, about 20 something years ago. And I remember coming home from that and being on the plane. And this is before emails, before cell phones, I think before cell phones, definitely mm-hmm. before email. And I remember thinking, wow, this would really be fantastic to produce an event like the Aspen Classic uh, on the beautiful beaches of uh, Miami Beach. And I got the idea. And I remember um, the following day going to talk to Wayne Chaplin at Southern and telling him about it. And that was really the beginning of uh, that idea and how that started. And look, it's incredible. It's incredible. Tell us a little bit about the inception of the festival. It started um, on the campus at FIU. It started on the campus. Actually, um, when I joined Southern in 2000, they had already been doing a uh, one-day event. Uh, I think it was called the Florida Extravaganza. And it was a one-day, you know, basically wine tasting. You see it a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of... uh, cities have great wine tastings and um, there were local chefs participating and there were local there were wineries participating and it was small it was under one tent and it was a really nice event a nice kind of local event and um, I really was tasked with kind of taking that and doing something with it and I thought that the only way to really take that event and grow it would be to move it off the grounds of the campus and put it on South Beach which sounded a lot sexier than the Florida extravaganza. And that was really the beginning of the Food Network South Beach Wine and Food Festival. And I believe as of next year, 20 years. Actually, as of 2021, 2021, it will be, yeah. we'll be celebrating 20 years of the Food Network and Cooking Channel Festival in May. We are normally in February. We've been in February for actually 20 years. Uh, the year, one year before it was actually the official South Beach Festival. Uh, so it will actually be our 20th anniversary in May. We'll be celebrating it May 20th through 23rd, rather than that last weekend in February where we've been. I would love to be a fly on the wall, like back in the early days of the festival, Leah, but you have some great stories. And I'm sure that you've, you've probably made some lifelong friendships as well. 
Well, definitely, you know, um, I, you know, with 20 years of anything, you, mm -hmm. you there, there, there are stories and fun stories uh, that come out of anything that you've done for 20 years. Um, so definitely some great stories and some, you know, more importantly, great relationships and great friendships that have come from the festival. So uh, those are, you know, things like that are what's really most important and things that I remember the best. Oh, sure. Can you talk to us a little bit about the charitable um, aspect of the festivals? 100% of the net proceeds from the Food Network Festival uh, benefit the Chaplin School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at Florida International University. And uh, to date, I right over $30 million we have raised for the school to date. So it's been very exciting. And, you know, we also produced the Food Network New York City Wine and Foods Festival that has raised about $13 million to date. It, we started it, I think, uh, where do we start it? Uh, about... Five years after we started South Beach, we launched the New York Festival, and uh, we produce that festival every year in October, and that festival benefits hunger in New York. We have two great partners, the Food Bank for New York City and No Kid Hungry, a national hunger organization. That's incredible. What's your favorite part of um, these festivals? Uh, I would say my favorite part of the festival are the people that I meet, and as you said, the relationships that come out of it and the memories that you take away. Uh, you know, I think it's great that we've raised so much money and it's great that we've given the students at the Chaplin School such hands-on experience. And it's great in New York that we can profile hunger organizations. But in the end, it really comes down to the relationships that you've made over the years. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, you guys have ha definitely had a lot of talent with you throughout these 20 years. And I think, you know, some of these chefs that you've worked with have really become big stars uh, through the Food Network. Are there any in particular that have been with you through the 20 years? Uh, yeah, yeah, quite a few. I mean, if you look at the early days, I mean, Bobby Flay has been with us and Tyler Florence has been with us. Uh, Martha Stewart and Emeril Lagasse have been with us from the early days. Um, you know, but we've also watched a lot of talent come up through those 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, Rachel Ray was just beginning her career when we started the festival. People didn't know her. She wasn't a household name like she is today. And of course, Giada De Laurentiis and uh, Guy Fieri, you know, uh, those names. And obviously everyone from the cast of Chopped over the years and Iron Chef kind of grew up with us. Um, a lot of people from the kitchen. So we were, we, we've been around for, you know, uh, since the beginning of the rise of the Food Network. And although they... Food Network is actually 30 years old, 10 years older. It really was coming into its own around the beginning of the festival time. Food really became, you know, that became more pop, more popular than ever, you know, uh, at the beginning of the festival. And I think we've, you know, worked closely with the Food Network over the years to profile some of their, you know, new talent that have become superstars. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I, you know, and the Food Network has had such an influence on the way that we eat and the way that we drink and the way that we approach food and approach cultures, you know, here in, in America, especially. I mean, what a change that it's made at the, at the dinner table. Sure. Well, you, you know, the Food Network, you know, it brought people into your home and, uh, you know, more so than ever during the last, you know, almost year of the pandemic. I mean, people were stuck at home and people who, 
started cooking. People who never cooked before started cooking because they had to. They couldn't go out or their favorite restaurant was closed or they couldn't do delivery. So more people than ever tuned into the Food Network and other, you know, cooking shows and cooking channels to learn how to cook. And, you know, these people have become friends. You know, when people come into your home every night and come into your kitchen, you, you know, that you really view them as friends. And that's how, you know, the Food Network really, you know, that's a mentality. These are friends coming into your home. Yeah, I love that. Um, do you cook? I do cook. I'm a chef by trade. Uh, I went to the Culinary Institute of America, so I'm a trained chef. I actually never did it professionally. I mean, other than right after graduating uh, from school, but I, I never wanted to be a chef. I wanted the background. So if I ever needed it one day, mm -hmm. uh, I would have it. And that's been an incredibly, you know, uh, uh, it, it, it's been very helpful in my career, you know, having that food knowledge. And I do cook at home uh, more in the last, you know, 11 months than ever before. Uh, but I, I, I cook, you know, fairly uh, frequently nowadays. What, what's it been like for you? Because I know you had a very rigorous travel schedule and going all over the place. And with the pandemic, you're at home, like many of us, cooking more than we probably ever had time to. So how, how's that been for you? Well, I haven't missed traveling, interestingly enough. Uh, I travel so much. I mean, I'm get, trying to getting that travel bug again now, you know, with, uh, you know, a glimmer of hope that maybe by the summertime we might be able to travel again. But, you know, it's, I, I, I'm not happy we've had to stay at home and I'm not happy why we've had to stay at home. But, um, you know, I don't miss airports. I don't miss going through uh, TSA. I don't miss... Uh, delayed flights. I don't miss airport food. Um, so, you know, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I think I'll be ready to travel when we can travel safely. Uh, but it's been kind of nice to be at home and, you know, it, you have whole weeks at a time at home. I don't think I've ever not traveled for more than three or four weeks at a time. So I, you know, the last time I traveled was in March. That's a long time for me not to travel. Um, you know, around the holidays, I miss being able to see friends and I miss not being in New York City and going to the theater and eating at restaurants and going to parties. I, I did miss that this year. Um, but I'll look forward to, you know, I think we'll appreciate it. I think we're going to appreciate things like that even more when we can start doing it again. Yeah, I agree. A thousand percent. I miss people, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> people and parties and fun. Uh, yeah. um, I miss people. I miss friends. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I miss, <laughs> I miss friends a lot. Um, you know, because you've had the fortunate, you've been so fortunate, you know, to really to travel the world and really explore all sorts of cultures. Have any cultures of cuisines really taken you by surprise? Is there anything that you're just in love with right now as far as uh, cuisine goes that you've discovered? You know, I'd have to say um, I'm a very basic eater. People always think I'm going to have a much more sophisticated palate than I do. Um, I guess because of what I do, they think I have much more. I mean, I, I I love trying everything, but I'm very, very basic. When I cook, I'm basic. You know, I love barbecuing. I love, you know, my favorite meal is still a roast chicken. Um, and again, I love to travel and I love to try new food, but to me, it's about good, simple, basic, fresh food. Uh, I, I think, you know, I've traveled all over the world. There's really nowhere I haven't been that I've wanted to be. Um, and I think probably going to India a few years ago, I never really appreciated Indian food or good Indian food. And I was really reluctant to go to India. I was going with um, 
some friends and I ended up loving India, loving the food and, uh, you know, uh, was actually going to go back there last spring until all this happened. Um, but you, every time you travel, you take back something, mm -hmm. a favorite experience, a favorite recipe, or you're in the kitchen and you kind of remember a flavor or a presentation that stood out. So I think that's the beauty of traveling, getting to experience and kind of remembering those things. And, you know, during the last 11 months when we've been stuck at home, you kind of uh, think about that great trip that you had or that great meal that you had or the great chef that you met. And, um, you, you know, I think that's the beauty of traveling, the experiences. Oh, I agree. Um, what part of India did you visit? I was in North India, which was Agra, Varanasi, uh, Udapur, Jaipur. Uh, where else? Uh, Agra, where was, uh, I'm trying to think of where the Taj Mahal is. Maybe that's Agra. I think it's Agra. So we were all Northern India. We kind of did the triangle for North India. And mm -hmm. we were going to go back to South India last uh, spring. And we'll look forward to doing that uh, when we can safely. Yeah, I hope you make it there. One of the best meals I've ever had was in India, Lee. It was in Goa. Um, uh, yeah, I'd want to go to Goa. Uh, yeah, I look forward to going there. Yeah. And I think that when you travel, if you're adventurous and you ask, you know, like where, where do the locals go mm -hmm. you know, and check out some of those non-touristy places, you can really, um, like you said, you know, have just a wonderful experience and create those memories to bring home with you. Yeah. I much prefer to ask the locals. I don't need to go to a Michelin rated restaurant. I don't need to eat a fancy meal and get dressed up. I did that years ago. I used to have to eat at Michelin restaurants. Now I dread eating at a fancy, you know, uh, <clears throat> three or four star Michelin meal. I, I much prefer to go where locals are going. I love street food. I love going to a fair. I love going to a, mar a food market, you know, for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. So I much prefer to eat like a local Absolutely. rather than a tourist. Yes, absolutely. Well, I know that um, you're an author as well. And what I'd love to know about Julie is how this book Fried and True came about. Was it because of your true, love of uh, fried chicken or? <laughs> uh, well, actually, it, um, Fried and True was the second cookbook. I've written three cookbooks. Mm -hmm. I, Fried and True was the second cookbook. And actually, it really, I, I, I think I owe that to Trisha Yearwood, uh, how that book came about. Um, it was at one of the festivals, must, must have been 10 years ago or 11 years ago when Trisha Yearwood was down for the festival and Trisha and I were talking and my publisher who had done my first book came over and we were talking and I don't know if she had worked with Trisha before, but we were talking about, Trisha and I were talking about fried chicken and our love of fried chicken and my publisher said to me the next day, you should really write a cookbook about fried chicken. And uh, that's exactly how it happened. Um, I love writing that book, or I love the experience of writing that book because I traveled all over the country finding the best fried chicken, um, which was so much fun. Um, and I, I still love fried chicken. I, a friend of mine is a CEO of Popeye's Fried Chicken. I'm always joking with him that that's one of uh, my favorite chickens around there. It's actually there's a whole chapter in the book about Popeye's Fried Chicken uh, and the experience I had of going into their corporate kitchen uh, in New Orleans a few years ago. Um, but that really came about just strictly from love of fried chicken and wanting to tell the story about fried chicken. And everyone, you know, very few people you meet don't love fried chicken. 
Well, yeah, I think if you don't love fried chicken, you can't be a friend of mine. So <laughs> there you have it. And I know your first uh, book is the Food Network South Beach uh, Food and Wine Festival Cookbook. So what inspired that? Well, we were celebrating 10 years of the festival, so it must be exactly 10 years ago. And uh, we wanted to do something to we wanted to do something to commemorate all the great chefs who have come to the festival over the years. And we thought that a cookbook would be the best way to do that and go to each of the chefs and uh, get their stories about the festival and recipes from the festival over the years. And uh, it was really just to commemorate and to give everyone who attended our 10th anniversary in 2010, a copy of the Food Network South Beach Wine and Food Festival cookbook. Yeah, that's amazing. And then your third book, um, America's Best Breakfast. Is that your favorite meal of the day? I mean, what, what brought that about? Breakfast is so much fun and you can really eat it at any time. Well, I, yeah, I there's a whole chapter of, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a recipe in there from my, from my mom. It's called German breakfast. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of tell the story that it's neither German nor is it breakfast. My mom used to make it for dinner. So I don't know why, nor does my mother remember why it was called German breakfast. Um, but, you know, breakfast is, you know, as a waiter, breakfast was the hardest meal to serve. You know, if you, you go to lunch, you go to a restaurant, you order lunch and you have a burger, you know, how do you want to cook medium rare? And that's it. Or you have a turkey club sandwich or you have a quiche and that's it. You know, for breakfast, it's how do you, you know, do you want coffee? Do you want tea? Do you want decaf? Do you want milk? Do you want low fat milk? Do you want cream? How do you want your eggs? Do you want it over easy? Do you want hash browns? Do you want home fries? Do you want fresh fruit? Do you want bacon? Do you want sausage? You know, uh, you know, a, a breakfast waiter, it's the hardest meal of the day to work. You could run back to that kitchen 10 times for breakfast. Oh, do you want your bread butter? Or do you want butter on the side? Do you want jelly? I mean, um, <laughs> I was a breakfast waiter and I, I, uh, I, I really, it was much, much harder than being a lunch or dinner waiter, being a breakfast waiter. So I thought that it deserved its own book. Ah, oh, it's really cool. What is a German breakfast? What is a that? A German breakfast is mm-hmm. a scramble. It's really, it's, it's eggs, it's onion, it's green peppers, it's celery, it's roasted potatoes, and you scramble eggs in, and that's a German breakfast. So neither German nor breakfast. Neither German nor it's skillet. <laughs> it's a skillet. Yeah, it's a skillet. It, it, that's exactly what it is. It's a skillet. Absolutely, 100%. That's great. And so, you know, with with the festivals going back to charity 100%, there's a lot of other work that you've been doing keeping busy with COVID and pande- the pandemic and the impact on our industry. Can you tell us a little bit about all of that wonderful work that you and your team have been doing? Well, early on in the pandemic, it was mid-March uh, on a Saturday morning, I had had a call with, uh, you know, 20 South Florida uh, chefs. And we had a call speaking about what I could do, how I could help them. And we wanted to find out what was the most important thing for them. And really what was the most important was at that point, taking care of their employees, how their employees were going to survive with restaurants being shut down or being closed in indoor dining. Yeah, but these restaurants were really hurting. And it obviously has not gotten any better uh, for the most part in the last 10 months. Um, But in speaking to these chefs, they were concerned about their employees, and we launched a hospitality industry relief fund to help out these restaurants and their employees, Uh, and we raised the money for that. I I think over a weekend, we we raised about a million dollars in donations from friends and family and Bacardi Foundation and the Estebans and people like that and Padilla Spices. 
And then we started doing bake sales at my house where we would bring together all these restaurants and we would do contactless bake sales where you'd stay in your car, you'd pull up and you'd, you know, you'd take home cookies or brownies or barbecue or dim sum or, you know, cocktails. And um, they got very popular. They were very well covered by the media. And we were very fortunate that every we did these for seven or eight weeks and the money was matched every week by Badia Spices. So it was really very, very, very popular. And we raised a few hundred thousand dollars from that. So to date, we've raised well over $2 million and put it back into the industry. In addition to that, we've partnered with the county, with Dade County, which Miami is in Dade County, and we administered a grant of $5 million to the industry down here to help out people. And then in New York, we raised money for the National Restaurant Association for the Guy Fieri Fund and raised about a half million dollars. So we've been very busy during these, uh, during these quiet times. They've been particularly busy for me trying to figure out a way you know, to give back, which as you know, is really the mentality of Southern Glazers giving back to the communities that we do business in. So it was very natural for me and very natural for our festival teams and the communi communications team to find a way to give back. Yeah. That's really incredible. And I'm lucky enough to be able to participate in the bake sale. I it was very well organized and I got um, a bunch of the amazing, I don't know, they were the cookies. So oh, night owl cookies, that's right. And the that's night owl right. cookies, yeah. my, my son was the star of the show at his little play date, bringing those insanely amazing cookies. I and, bet. And we did it again for Thanksgiving. We had, we mm -hmm. did a whole uh, one-stop, no shop holiday dinner in a box that was very, very popular. And we're doing it again at our Wynwood offices this Wednesday for Christmas, where you can pick up on Wednesday and Thursday holiday meals. And for every 25 meals, we send a meal to the uh, a homeless shelter here. And plus for every order that we take, we're delivering a box of cookies to the frontline workers at Nicholas Children's Hospital. So we've been incredibly busy. That's, That's wonderful. Really that is really wonderful. Um, Lee, can you tell us what the Food Network and Cooking Channel um, South Beach um, Food and Wine Festival will look like in 2021? Well, it will look and feel different, but the message will remain the same to eat, drink and educate. And obviously we'll be following all protocols and uh, you know, the safety and comfort of all of our guests and sponsors and consumers and talent is our number one priority. Mm -hmm. So we'll be, you know, um, the, the program is very similar to what we've done at the past, but qua uh, quantity or capacities will be greatly reduced. We'll be definitely following strict guidelines with regards to crowds and having people, you know, uh, uh, following directional signs like you have in supermarkets. So it will be a lot more controlled. Um, we'll also have two sessions. So rather than having one session of 4,000 people, it will be divided into two sessions. And rather than having 2,000 people, they'll probably only have 1,000 people. Mm -hmm. We'll also have no tents, so it will all be open air. So we're really taking every precaution. And I think, you know, what, whatever we say today, it's probably going to look much different by May, by the end of May. Uh, but our goal and our really our main focus is delivering a self a safe and comfortable festival and following the guidelines to a T and making sure that we don't take anything by chance. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what makes the festival so special, as you brought up, is so many people have brought 
the talent from the Food Network cooking channel into their homes for for many years. And then uh, Sobe Wine and Food Festival actually brought it to life, right? Where you got to come and, and you know, and, and insanely enough, and I know you've talked about this in other interviews is we just had the festival right be, you know, a, a, actually right as the pandemic was hitting and we were hearing about it. Um, you know, I got to attend, I've, I've attended all of them since I've been at Southern. I even had the, um, the opportunity to work at the, the lifestyle seminars and it just every year it gets better and bigger. And, yeah. and, and I believe it's one of the, the biggest events in Miami for the year, right? That brings in the most amount of people. Well, like right after Art Basel and Bocho, it's like, you know, it's one of the crown jewels of the city, as the county commissioners and the mayors will tell you, it's a crown jewel. And it's the amount of exposure it brings to, it's a hospitality industry. So imagine you have all these foodies and all these influences coming into uh, South Florida for four days in the dead of winter elsewhere. And they're all trying the hottest and best new restaurants and bars and clubs in the city. So it's a great marketing tool for the city and a great way to bring exposure to the industry down here and obviously raise funds and market the Chaplin School right here in Florida. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What do you think is going to happen, Lee, to our industry? You know, through this pandemic, what changes do you see? Do you see anything that we're going to come out of this differently or maybe to do things a little bit differently than we were doing before? Well, I hope so. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a long time before we're totally out of this, even mm -hmm. with the vaccines out. You know, uh, I, I, I think we need 70% of the people to reach uh, herd immunity. And I don't know how quickly that is going to happen. But I think that, um, you know, we're going to look at things differently as the hospitality industry. It's a tough way to make a living to begin with. People think because they go into a busy restaurant that has a long wait or you're waiting at the bar that people are rolling in money. And, uh, you know, 95% of every dollar that you take in in a restaurant goes to costs between food costs, between labor, between payroll, between rent. You know, it's not a profitable industry. You don't go into the restaurant industry to make a lot of money. You go in because it's in your blood or because you love the industry but it's a tough industry to make a living in. And I, um, you know, I, I'll be anxious and curious and hopeful to what comes out and who will be left when this is done, you know, what will be left. But it's a industry of passionate people who are very committed. And I'm hopeful that, you know, uh, you know, that they'll be here and they'll stick around and they'll hold on until we can all get through this together. Oh my goodness. I hope so too. You know, we're a scrappy industry yeah. as well. We definitely pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and we're not afraid to roll up our sleeves and do the work, you know, and you're exactly right. I mean, you don't, you go into this industry because you love it. You have a passion for it. Absolutely. Because your parents did it, your grandparents did it, sure. it's in your blood and it's all, you know, you know, um, it just, it's your lifeblood. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I, I'm really curious um, how we will look on the other side of this. I think that some things will stick like, you know, cocktails to go or even like how we see some Michelin star restaurants now doing to go business sure. that they've never done before. And they're doing it so eloquently and be able to provide, you know, a three course meal where in the past that was unheard of. You'd have to wait sometimes, you know, waiting list to even get a reservation. So there is um, some new ways of working that might, we'll see if it sticks. Well, the industry's had to pivot to stay, you know, anyone who was smart pivoted. 
Mm -hmm. uh, they had to pivot, you know, if they wanted to stay in business, not even smart, people who wanted to stay in business change, you know, whether they were doing takeout, whether they set up markets, whether they were doing deliveries. I mean, you know, um, you know, some of my favorite restaurants ended up being the restaurants where I had the best to go meals. Um, you know, here in South Florida, I, I, I was continuously impressed with the food and the service of the, you know, the to-go. And uh, we've had some extraordinary meals. And, um, you know, although I've missed the experience of going out and being around people and looking what's going on, you know, we've had some great meals here in South Florida. And I don't think that will, you know, hopefully the industry will get back and I, people, you know, uh, I, I don't think that will go on when restaurants get back up and running. I think it's hard to do takeout and expensive, but hopefully, you know, until that time, people continue doing these great meals. But I've been very impressed at how many great restaurants have pivoted, some of my favorite restaurants. And as you said, many Michelin restaurants have pivoted as well, doing great takeout and delivery. Mm -hmm. Isn't yeah. It fun to see? And yeah, and they're creating what what's now, you know, another tier, the home premise. Exactly. Right. And, and it's, it's creating a whole different way to do business. But I also recognize that in some markets like South Florida and Florida, we've been able, you know, restaurants have been able to somewhat maintain open and, and kind of work through the pandemic where it's really not the same in a lot of uh, cities across the country and, and it's all impacted differently. And it's, it's really, um, it's a tough time for many and we're so blessed with the great weather, right? That's it. You know, uh, now, you know, now is the time, you know, we, uh, the winter was difficult. The summer was trained, you know, difficult because it was hot and humid, but still, and a lot of rain, but now, you know, I, I, you know, now through May, we're really lucky. It's a place to be and hopefully restaurants with outdoor dining and, uh, you know, will continue to, I can't say thrive, but will continue to survive. And yeah. get through until they're ready to open and accommodate their guests, you know, safely and comfortably again. It's so interesting. So, I, you know, I live outside of Chicago right. and um, you can have dinner in an igloo out here. Yeah. So, you know, restaurants are pivoting by putting up these cool looking igloos and and really, you know, jazzing them up with some right. cool twinkle lights and and uh, music. And it's um, it's definitely a different way. Uh, to dine here in the Midwest. And hopefully the winters aren't too cruel in Chicago and in places like New York as well. So we can have some sort of enjoyment, right? I hope so. And for getting enjoyment so we can have some type of uh, industry left. I mean, it, it, listen, it's all about the experience of great wine and great food and eating with mm -hmm. friends. But I think for right now, it's a fight to stay afloat for these industries. And I think the more that we can support them, whether it's if you're comfortable eating out and the restaurants are open eating out, if you can do takeout or delivery or buy gift cards, I think all those things are incredibly important. You know, my holiday gifts this year to my nieces and nephews and close friends were gift cards to eat in restaurants. So that mm -hmm. was something that was very important to me. Yeah, that's definitely a great way to, to give back. What kind of advice would you give to somebody, Lee, that's, you know, maybe had a similar career as you and, and took a big step like you did going to a distributor and, you know, coming up with this great idea. What, what, what advice would you give to kind of that next generation that's, that's looking to, to make a big impact? Go work for a company like Southern Glazers. Not that <laughs> I think there are many companies out there like Southern Glazers. I mean, I think we're all fortunate to work for one of the to work for the largest distributor of, you know, wine and spirits in the nation, but to work for a 
family, you know, to work for a family owned business who care as much about their employees as they do about the business. I think that makes a big difference. Um, I don't know. I know I would not be where I am today if I didn't work for a company like Southern Glazes who believed in what I did and wanted to do right for the community and to give back to the community. And I think there are very few companies like that. Uh, so I, I think not, and not, you know, just the fact that we're a family owned business is great, but not every family owned business has the same mentality. I think, um, you know, the Chaplin family are one of a kind and I'm not just saying it because I'm on air. I'm saying it because I believe it. Mm -hmm. I think we work for the kindest, most generous, giving, caring people out there. They really care about their employees and they consider their employees their greatest asset. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes a big difference. I would not be where I am today if it had not been for, you know, my uh, privilege of having, you know, work for Southern Glazers and the family. And I mean that. Yeah. And yeah. we believe you. I think we can, we can all relate to the same. And, and I, and I do, and, and not only their employees, but the local community and, sure. and the work that they do. And, and you bring up a great point because, you know, we did have, um, Dean Michael Chang with FIU uh, School of Hospitality on. And one of the things we're trying to do to reach in this podcast is, is really looking at hospitality as a whole. I think when people kind of come out of hospitality school, it, they're, they're really just thinking of kind of that hotel business. But, you know, I consider us in distribution as part of the hospitality industry. And it's a, an amazing career to, to go to a distributor like Southern Glazers to expand um, that skill set. No, we're very much a part of the hospitality industry. If you didn't have a wine and spirit distributor, there wouldn't be restaurants, there wouldn't be hotels or bars or cruise ships. I mean, I, I think that uh, we play an important part of that besides for the 20 something thousand employees at Southern Glazers employees across 44 states you know, and Canada. I think that uh, you know we're an integral part of the hospitality industry. I agree. I agree with you 100%. Um, I've been with Southern now for 15 years. And everything that you said really hits home for me as well. I feel like it, there's not many places that allow you to be an entrepreneur uh, within the company. Sure. Does that makes sense. No, absolutely. They encourage you to be better and to do better. And they encourage you to, you know, support the local communities and mm -hmm. to give back and to, uh, you know, I, I think they treat you like family, you want to treat them the same. Yeah, absolutely. And if you have a great idea and you have a plan, there's always an ear. There's always somebody that will listen and no doubt about that. Help, yep. help you out. And I don't know that there's a lot of companies around yeah, like that I would before. say not. Yeah, I would say not. <laughs> say not too. So Lee, when when the world opens back up, where are you going? That's a good question. Uh you know, I think, into, you know, when the world opens back up, uh, I haven't been in New York in a long time. Normally I'm up there regularly. I have an apartment there. Um, I, you know, I want to go to New York when the restaurants and the theater industries open up back in the city and in the sense of traveling, I, uh, you know, I, 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 my favorite places to travel, you know, I love Italy and I love France. Uh, you know, I go there every year and I, I've missed not going this past summer. So as soon as I can get a vaccine and it's safe to travel, I'll probably, you know, be on a plane to Italy somewhere. That's amazing. Where do you like to go in Italy? What's your favorite spot? Uh, Tuscany and the Amalfi. I, I, we always kind of uh, uh, go to a friend's house in Tuscany and uh, right in the middle of, you know, not far from Siena. 
and then we rent a car and we go to the Amalfi and uh, uh, we really just have the happiest times of the year have always been Italy. So uh, I, I'd say that that will be our first international trip to Italy. No question about it. No question. That's great. So with where, where do you see the food and um, the South Beach Wine and Food Festival in the next 10 years? You're, you're coming up on your 20th anniversary. Where do you where do you see it 10 years from now? Uh, well, I, I, listen, I think that people are always going to be interested in wine and food. I think, you know, not everyone loves theater. Not everyone loves the arts. Not everyone loves sports. Everybody eats and drinks. And I think more than ever, people are going to be interested in what's new and what's the newest this and newest that's what that's what people always want to know. And I think that we're going to have to change. Well, you know, as I said, look and feel different, but we want to continue to deliver a new product, new talent, great wines, experiencing great spirits and craft cocktails. And I, I, I'd like to think that we'll be continuing to do what we do in a different way. Uh, but delivering a, you know, superior product and, you know, listening to the consumers about what they want to experience the most. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my favorite events, and it's probably no surprise to you, is best of the best, right? right? Every year at the Fountain Blue in the, in the ballroom. And, um, and it's funny because, you know, my husband would go with me every year that I got to go and, and we'd be like, okay, what's that trend food, you know, because there was always one that you knew was the right. latest trend. Right. And um, so if we were to, you know, what do you think that that trend is for 2021? It's always kind of one ingredient that everybody's working with. You know, I don't know that. I always say if I knew that, I wouldn't have to do this for a living. Um, <laughs> what is that latest trend? Um, I don't, you know, I... I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't follow trends, but you're you're absolutely right, Julie. You know about uh, you know when we get the menus in at best of the best. I mean, it's the year of foie gras. It's the year mm -hmm. of pork belly. It's tartar pork yeah, belly. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a. Um, you, there's always. You, I can always tell the trends uh, by seeing. You know, if you have forty or fifty chefs and more than a dozen of them are doing once the same item, mm -hmm. you say, "Wow, that's obviously." Uh, so we had the foams, you know, that kind of the molecular food. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know. I'd like to think simple, basic, delicious food, local, you know, using local ingredients and local farmers and, you know, uh, locally artisan artisanal type products. So mm -hmm. I'd like to think that's what we'll see. Yeah. I feel like last year there was a lot of caviar in, in almost everything, which made me really happy. Well, I think people feel or like this year, I guess it was this year. This year. It was this year, right. I think that people feel it's called best of the best. So they have to use the best of the, you know, and caviar, you know, I'm not a caviar eater, so that wouldn't have been exciting for me. Um, but I, I think that, you know, to me, I like delicious, good, simple, fresh food. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, whether it's lamb, veal, chicken, beef, lobster, you know, that's fine with me. I don't like, uh, I think the cleaner and the simpler to the better, but you're right. Caviar, mm -hmm. uh, you, you know, Pork belly, I'll, you know, I'll never forget the year I saw all this pork belly. I'm like, what? Where is this coming from? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, like so every I'll have to wait to see when I get the menus in for May. I'm, I'll have me back on the show. I'll tell you what's popular. Yeah, give us a heads up. Yeah. So, and and give us an example with Best of the Best. How do you envision that in kind of a, a post-pandemic? Hopefully it's post-pandemic. Like, would that be all outdoors or? It will be outdoors. The Best mm -hmm. of the Best used to be one night. Friday night. Now it will be two nights, Friday and Saturday. It used to be inside the Fountain Blue Ballroom. Mm -hmm. It will now be outside by the pool. 
It used to okay. be 3,000 people. Now it will be 800 people per night over the two nights. So uh, mm. everything, you know, it's all been reimagined. Lots right. of seating, uh, lots of space in between. So, uh, and again, that will change between now and May as, it, as we have to tweak things. Yeah. But that's as of today, as of, you know, December 21st, that's what we're thinking. Right. And I would think the other really popular events have always been outside and meant to be on the more casual side. So that transition would probably be a little bit more simple or easier, like burger bash and, and chicken coop. And... Yeah. Um, well, well, chicken coop's always been inside, but this year it will be outside. Okay. Uh, the tribute dinner has always been inside a ballroom. This year it will be outside at the Lowe's Miami Beach, our headquarter hotel. So, you know, we're, we're twisting and turning and changing. And, uh, you know, again, uh, our, our goal is just to deliver something that's safe and comfortable where people really feel good experiencing something. Because for a lot of people, it will be one of their first times going out to anything more than a small group of people. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we want to give people that comfort right from the get-go. Yeah, I, I can see it. And you will. And you will. Where can our listeners um, learn more about the Food Network Cooking Channel, um, South Beach Wine and Food Festival and the updates that are to come? Well, they should, we, we have a, a powerful website, which is S-O-B-E-W-F-F, which stands for Sobe Wine and Food Festival dot org. So they can go to the website, they can sign up for our newsletters. Um, we're always updating the website with information. Right now it's promoting our holiday special for this week, but you can sign up to receive our newsletter. They come out uh, uh, at least twice a month and that will give you all the information about all the events and everything that we're doing to follow the guidelines. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for being on Served Up today, Lee. I know Julian, I really hope that you'll come back Hi, my pleasure. A few times next year and give us more updates. Let me know. I'll give you updates right before the festival and right after. Absolutely. And, you know, we want to really want to wish you um, good health and peace um, during this holiday season. And uh, thank you so much for coming on Served Up. It's my pleasure. Have a safe and happy and healthy holiday, ladies. And I'll look forward to seeing you in 21. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!